Live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, CAB Incorporated presents Celebrating Powerhouse Women. Now, here's your host, Amanda Pierch. Hello and welcome back everybody for another exciting episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women. This series is a salute to women who are making an impact in our community. I am very pleased to introduce our guest today, Carrie Heron. She is the CFO of CAB Worldwide Holdings Incorporated. And I'm excited to have her here today because CAB is actually the presenting sponsor for this Powerhouse series. And I'm gonna just say a few quick words about CAB, Carrie. Um, since 1982, CAB Incorporated has been a distinguished leader in manufacturing and global sourcing, serving a variety of industries, including infrastructure, hydraulics, automotive, and rail with their precision machined and iron steel products. As a woman-owned company, CAB is proud to be the presenting sponsor of this Celebrating Powerhouse Women series. This series is also brought to you in part by McCarthy Building Companies and Cat Rangers. Thank you very much for letting me read that piece. And also, I'm so glad to have you as the second part of this woman-owned business who is enthusiastic to support this series. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to your past casts. Just awesome. And what a great series and what a great thing to do celebrating powerhouse women so so happy to be here thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to join us and i like that you said casts because i often refer to podcasts as casts as well for short very cool um well we're going to dive right in you have got a fantastic bio that i have here in front of me but i'd like to hop into our delorean if we might and we'll transport ourselves back to the collegiate days and we can kind of begin your journey there Okay. So I understand you went uh, to school in Arizona. I did, Arizona State University. So I, uh, my first year of school was actually at Indiana University, right? So right out of high school, did that for a year, and it just wasn't clicking. And I took a year off and um, met my husband and moved to Arizona and started going back to school at Arizona State University. And I was a night student, and for me, um, you kind of think about our journeys. Uh, I just didn't want to be a full-time student. I wanted to work and learn while I was going to school, and it really was enriching. Um, so I went to ASU, did my undergraduate there in accounting, and then also uh, spent another 10 years at night school getting my MBA there. So it was All a fun road. Yeah, yeah, you brought me back to a really great time in my life reminiscing on the days yeah so you chose night school on both accords so that you could continue doing the things that you enjoyed and needed to do during the day yeah and exactly said, what were you doing uh, for employment at the time you mentioned working so I worked for a construction company in Arizona uh, back in the day a lot of water and sewer was going on so that company was doing mass earthwork projects sewer and water projects and I got to be out on the job sites um, I was little secretary helping the project managers do their thing so it was so neat to see all that happen and uh watch uh transformation happen uh right before the phoenix area that's right so how long did you spend in arizona throughout your your schooling 20 years 20 years yeah and then you graduated yep okay but let's rewind because you got your degree in accounting what kind of drew you to the analytics and numbers Boy, I think it started when I was 14. I was in eighth grade and our typing teacher, right? We had one of those, uh, what do they call those little mini courses? Mm-hmm. So we, I took a mini course on accounting and um, our typing teacher was teaching it. The poor woman, um, I was sitting in the back 
correcting her constantly. She'd be doing tea accounts, and I realized, I guess I kind of get this. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was eighth grade. So I was just kind of geared for it, and over time, kind of paying attention to what I was good at instead of what I wasn't good at, uh, led me to accounting. So Good for you for being able to hone in on those uh, skills, especially as an eighth grader. I know a lot of eighth graders are probably living in a world of ambiguity as far as their strength and weaknesses. So for you to identify that and then continue the pursuit throughout your lifetime is, is fantastic. Um, and, and we'll get into your CFO role here um, in just a minute. But surely leading up to what you do now at CAB, there were some mile markers in between. Share some of those with us. Absolutely. Well, I think the first mile marker was after graduating, I started in public accounting, very common. I started with Price Waterhouse Back in the days, it was Price Waterhouse. Uh, it was the big eight at that time and was doing auditing and learning and realized that it was a struggle for me to go in as an auditor and see systems that weren't working right, things that could be done better. And when you're an auditor, that's really not your role to help your client do it better. And uh, so paying attention to that, I knew this wasn't going to be something I, I, I was never going to be a partner in an audit firm and it just wasn't what I was geared for. Um, So through being laid off actually, uh, unfortunately back in those days, I think our Phoenix office had the first layoff ever and I was affected by that. And I wanna bring that up especially today for our listeners because there's obviously we've had a whole round of layoffs and reduction in forces going on because of the pandemic. And I can honestly say it was one of the best opportunities. It created a great opportunity. And for anybody out there listening, if you're going through this, you can make it better. You can reflect and move on and uh, find something that's going to work well for you. And that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. So um, I moved from uh, public accounting, went to a small firm for a little while, and then eventually moved on to the Dial Corporation which was manufacturing dial dial soap right wow really yeah. the dial soap yeah. yeah and um that was just a wonderful place for me to be because i found out how much i love manufacturing how much i love supply chain manufacturing plants about that same time i got involved in uh, the mba program at arizona state was really pushing the envelope at the time on supply chain supply chain management and i got involved in that program and really loved it. And it was so fun working at Dial, working with manufacturing facilities. By the way, I was pretty much always the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. Very occasionally there'd be another woman, but I uh, was on a team of mostly men, plant managers, plant engineers. um, And that changed over the course of my being there, but uh, more women came on board involved in manufacturing. But um, that was just a huge learning experience. I, well, you've been a trailblazer in a, in a male-dominated industry ever since the days that you're on the, the project management sites, it sounds That's like. That's true. Today is a unique time. I find myself with a female CFO, yeah. and this is, this is the uh, unusual part of my career, really. And you guys are a powerhouse duo. Well, of course, of course. Women of steel. Of steel, literally. (laughs) Oh, we needed the rim shot for that one. Hit the bell. Yes, I like it. Well, supply chain is something that really interests me, but before I hopscotch around, let's um, just rewind a little bit. You mentioned that you had to kind of overcome, well, not necessarily overcome, but how did you 
um, set the pace for yourself and how did you um, work fluidly in those environments that were male, male dominated while you were kind of gaining your footing in the industry? Hmm. Were I there think some visible challenges that you had to overcome or was it all more just behind the scenes? And I would say there were, there were some very overt challenges mm-hmm. and those that were less obvious. And I, I don't know that it's valuable to go into right, any of them, of but the way I overcame them was to see myself as a servant. So um, using a, as an accounting for the background, um, it is numbers are the universal language of business. Hmm. And uh, when you understand numbers, you can help others do better. So an example would be one of the first early things I got to do for a marketing manager at Dial was help him figure out if he could meet a supply requirement from Walmart. This would have been our first huge opportunity with Walmart and our costs were too high Mm. and I got to work with him to look at uh, indeed we could do it cost effectively because we'd be producing so much more like double the the plant's capacity and that meant having to talk with the plant manager talk with the cost accountant at the plant talk with the engineers could we do it and figure out how the pricing could really come down because of the high volume Mm so being able to serve that organization in that way, that manager, that marketing manager in the mm-hmm. way as he was trying to make this deal happen um, was such a learning experience. Mm-hmm. And we ended up doing it. And uh, the team that was a part of it ended up getting to fly on the corporate jet. Uh, we had a lobster dinner. I mean, oh. it was it was such a success. Yes. And to be a little numbers person, you know, you think bean counter. No, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about how to really make a difference in the organization. You help them achieve that. And yeah. Now, dials in Walmart. I see them every time I go. Yeah. Uh-huh. So when you, um, the original question, kind of going back to that, how do you overcome it? By being valuable, by showing your value, showing what you can do, adding value, and don't put yourself in a box. I like that. Oftentimes we do that, especially especially as gals. Um, you kind of feel like you have to operate this way. It's politically correct or it's expected. So I appreciate um, you mentioning don't necessarily stay in that box at all yeah, times. Yeah, don't look at me as a petite little accountant with glasses on. Don't, you pack a punch. Don't look at me that <laughs> way. <laughs> very cool. Well, going back to supply chain, it sounds like you're very savvy um, in, in that world and kind of along with your passion for accounting, would you say that the two kind of, um, they layer layer in with each other? Are you able to, do they mesh the two? They do. Okay. They really mesh. So I mentioned that for me, you know, accounting, universal language of business is numbers so it all kind of comes down to the results the accounting is looking historically and measuring results and if we're not in business for results why are we in business we're not going to be able to continue to keep employing our employees and they're not going to be able to feed their families so we need to be able to quantify Mm -hmm. and that's you know basic accounting but then doing it better doing it cheaper how do you grow how do you grow Mm -hmm. the right way Um, How do you grow in a way that you continue to grow? Mm -hmm. Um, So looking at that, right? So that's the numbers piece. And then what attracted me to supply chain is I mentioned that Arizona State was Mm kind of early on. That was when supply chain was starting to get talked about, right? Purchasing programs. Uh, University of Louisville had a great 
program that they were modeling after. And the supply chain at that time was getting a lot of attention because people were realizing how much hidden costs were in the supply chain, just a lot of inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. And you can just imagine from products moving from one place to another and sourcing poorly or not knowing how to substitute less expensive materials uh, when a certain material is not available, et cetera, et cetera. So it was... I mean, the term gold mine was used uh, in terms of speaking about the supply chain and the opportunity that was there. And so that was, you know, applying, okay, I know numbers, I can figure that out. What is all this about? So mm-hmm. for me, they really mesh and was very, um, it was very intentional on my part because I love manufacturing to get involved in supply chain. And now, I mean, just think about what we just learned in the pandemic about the impacts of supply chain. Yes. We pushed out so much cost. We forgot about flexibility mm-hmm. and being able to have other sources of yes, supply. sourcing, exactly. Yeah, so a lot of people, I think, weren't aware of supply chain the way they are now, simply because of PPE shortages mm-hmm. and things like that. They might have been uh, familiar with the term or heard supply chain, but never did they understand how it would directly impact them so quickly and so greatly for something as simple as toilet paper. Exactly. Or Lysol. Right. <laughs> and we were we were seeing it right then and there. Uh, just to touch on it really quickly about um, everybody coming together, I thought it was so wonderful, and maybe you can share your expertise, how they kind of morphed facilities and uh, specifically distilleries and things like that here in the United States to start producing hand sanitizer and things like that. So being able to use the P word, Mike, pivot um, and uh, kind of switch gears and they were able to help the United States with production in that regard. How do you feel about um, us in the U.S. outsourcing? I don't know what the percentage is, but I'll say 80% of everything that we do need, use. Um, what are your thoughts on everything mm-hmm. coming from abroad? I know that you guys at CAB, you have lots of uh, worldwide partners, and you source commodities and things like that all over the place. So you have you have interface with lots of different countries, and um, you have much experience in, in that. Mm. That's a great question. How do I feel about that? One, you always have to pay attention to concentration and we were overly concentrated on a lot of supply chain right and so there's ways to compensate for that like keeping inventory and that's a strategy of CAB and it always has been Um, so when we had our facilities in China close initially uh, we felt it some but because of our strategy to hold inventory for our customers here in the U.S. Mm. it was um, a blip not a not an abyss for us. Um, and the same thing, after China factories came online, uh, things started happening in, in India. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that supply chain was interrupted. Um, again, because we hold inventory that was helpful, we amped up our communication with our customers, with mm-hmm. our suppliers, um, helped our suppliers get essential uh, service status in mm-hmm. India in particular. You know, there's ways to compensate, but you have to be aware of the risk. And we weren't aware of the risk in other areas in our nation, PPE in particular. And I've got a couple um, family members who are in nursing. And so I was especially concerned Concerned. about what had happened Mm -hmm. and how did we let that happen. Mm -hmm. As far as, you know, things being sourced 
outside the U.S. Um, I think we've pushed out too much cost, perhaps, and maybe haven't been as creative as we need to be to maintain manufacturing here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. There's just, I'm glad to see an initiative to bring manufacturing back to the U.S., and um, it's important for a lot of reasons, and I think we just learned one of them. Mm -hmm. I will say I just wanted to give you um, the the ups on air really quickly. Speaking about PPE, you're so kind to bring me a nice homemade fashion mask today. <laughs> I can't wait to sport. It's red, white, and blue. So if you see me on social media, um, Carrie brought that into the studio for us. And now I know because you had family members in the healthcare industry, why you're so inspired to to make those. That's right. Yeah. I sent uh, a lot of masks, to, well, several masks to my sister, who is an ICU nurse in Chicago uh, during their shortage. So... Were you a seamstress prior to the quarantine, or is that a new developed skill? No, I like to sew. I've always Very liked nice. that. That's kind of my chill, you know, Terry uh -huh. John Dahl paints. Uh -huh. I sew. So, there yeah. you go. Is it like the rhythm of the machine that kind of, you know, relaxes you, or is it being able to ignite the creativity? It's the creativity. And it's Very not cool. that I make anything really stellar. Mm -hmm. It's um, your quietly sitting and cutting mm -hmm. and you're just very focused on yeah. one thing and bringing it from start to finish, to finish. and I like manufacturing there so you go I get to make something even at home right very nice well since we kind of we've been all over the place and I, I take responsibility for that I water bug and I apologize I like to talk about since we're on the subject of CAB um, what the philosophy for community engagement is at CAB and then we'll kind of um, transition into the ways that you personally or that CAB gives back um, to our community so touching on the philosophy of community engagement enlighten me well uh, the philosophy is it's an imperative uh, it's really not an option and if you've seen um, and I, I know you have uh, our CEO's resume and all the organizations she supports, um, you can see she lives it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and she has, uh, I've always long been involved in advocacy uh, efforts for women and mm -hmm. children. It's just kind of what I got involved in when I was going to college. Mm -hmm. um, violence against women, human trafficking yes. um, are, have been my causes for a long time. Um, and Terry introduced me to Partnership Against Domestic mm -hmm. Violence to kind of leverage another area, kind of mm -hmm. move over to an adjacent space of advocating for families. Um, Expand on that because I know that that's near and dear to you and you participate heavily. Um, I was, <laughs> I felt um, silly whenever I was reading PADV and I was trying so hard to figure out what it was, but it's very plainly Partnership Against Domestic Violence. Uh, you're a member of the Finance Committee and Chair there? I'm chair of a uh, Gwinnett Fund Development Committee, and that little committee uh, raises funds p specifically for operating expenses of the Gwinnett Shelter. And the mm -hmm. Gwinnett Shelter is the largest uh, crisis shelter in the state uh, for uh, domestic violence and inter intimate partner violence. Um, speak a little bit about what you do specifically, how you serve the PADB. In a couple ways. So I recently uh, joined the board about a year ago, actually. And um, so as a board member, just looking to um, move the organization as it needs as it needs to move. It's growing uh, very well. Unfortunately, there's a huge demand. Mm -hmm. um, and we're about eradicating domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, on the Gwinnett Fund Development Committee, I mentioned um, our little committee uh, 
raises money. Our goal is to raise $100,000 annually specifically for the Gwinnett Shelter. We host the Women in Action uh, Forum Breakfast annually. That's our biggest fundraiser. And um, Northside Hospital, Gwinnett mm-hmm. uh, Medical, uh, now Northside mm-hmm. Gwinnett, yeah. huge supporter of ours. So we really thank uh, Northside Hospital for their support. Um, and many, many wonderful organizations in Gwinnett uh, support our shelter and what we're trying to do and what we are doing. Mm-hmm. So one life at a time, eradicating domestic violence. I like that saying. I mentioned this. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Maureen from the Home of Hope um, not too long ago. And she was talking about like right here in this hotel and the restrooms, how they have the signs about uh, sex trafficking yeah. and violence, how predominant it is, even though it's not visible to everybody. So I, I applaud you and, and all the gals involved in efforts that help help with those causes. Thank you. It sounds like not only you personally, but also CAB are great proponents um, for giving back. So I can see how you and Terry make a per- perfect partnership to lead CAB. Thank you. You're welcome. I think we do. Yes. Before we switch gears, I wanted to just um, have a word from one of our sponsors, if you don't mind. Uh, this is for McCarthy Building Companies. McCarthy Building Companies is a um, is a Excuse me, McCarthy is a community-based general contractor specializing in healthcare, education, aviation, and commercial construction projects. They are committed to helping their clients achieve their short and long-term strategic goals. The McCarthy Partnership for Women believes that diverse perspectives drive better outcomes, and that's why they are thrilled to support this series. I should have poured myself a coffee before I came in, Carrie, but I thought I was already kind of jazzed up so I didn't want to do that to myself it would appear <laughs> I should have gone the licorice tea route like you it's pretty nice mm-hmm. yeah can you smell it it does you have it the aroma nice yes mm-hmm. do you use the tea bags or do you have the loose tea that you kind of pack into that little pod type thing the tea bags the tea bags yeah Very keep it nice. simple so do you drink caffeine or is that a substitute for I absolutely drink caffeine, caffeine. okay <laughs> just, just seeing um, we're going to switch gears. As I mentioned, I'd like to take it back to, to Carrie as a person, as a, a family uh, woman, if I may. Um, speak a little bit about, we were chatting before the show about the property that you have and some of your fun furry animals, uh, you and your husband. Do you have any children? Yes, we do. Between us, we have six. Uh-huh. And uh, I have two daughters and four bonus children. I uh, love that We term. are the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. So three boys, three girls. And uh, that keeps us pretty busy. I'm sure. What is so, the age range? From 20, almost 26 to 15. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So broad, broad spectrum. A broad spectrum, mm-hmm. right. It's really fun. Uh, it's fun being on this show and then thinking about, I get to watch each child mm-hmm. kind of discover their own, what makes them tick. Yeah. And um, several of them really have figured that out. And it's, it's pretty neat to see that. And they're on their way. You know, everyone, each child is on mm-hmm. their way and they're yeah. all different. Did you house everyone at one time? Was there? A you know, time we, never everyone- <laughs> okay. we never did. We never did. But when we all get together, we th- so the house I'm in. You mm-hmm. mentioned that, yeah. right? So this property was five acres, and the house was pretty deplorable when we moved in. So we knew we needed a huge kitchen mm-hmm. for to ho- hold everyone when we're all together, and so we renovated, and we have a massive kitchen, and that's where all of us gather, gather and yeah. and. It, 
many of the children are fantastic cooks. Mm. So when we all get together, it's kind of hard to keep everybody's hands out of... Tasting. Yeah. Yeah. Tasting, cooking, Mm -hmm. contributing. That's fun, Um, though. We do have a lot of fun. I have lots of fond memories, even to this day. Everyone gathers in the kitchen, especially at my mom's house, and it's just like that. Chatting, listening to music, tasting, a glass of wine. Dancing. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Where did their culinary um, expertise come from? You, your husband, or did they discover these these You know, I on can't own? take any credit. I know um, one of my daughters would, when she was little, she'd watch uh, culinary shows, mm-hmm. right? She'd yeah. watch the chefs. And it was very hard to teach her because uh, no cookbook was necessary. She had seen what happened. The person, the chef, just had bowls full of stuff, and they poured it into a bigger bowl. And uh, so that's kind of what she did. And she still, I don't know that she follows a cookbook, but she's evolved from everything was not as Mm -hmm. great as it could have been to being able to cook really great dishes. Now she knows the ratio. Now she knows the ratio, Mm -hmm. right. Very nice. Well, it sounds like you're very busy, not only personally and professionally. I would like to know what your trick to maintaining I like to use the word integration instead of balance because I don't think that it should be one or the other Um, work-life integration being that you hold um, such an instrumental role within CAB and within in your household how are you able to find time for yourself to do some of the things you enjoy like your crafts oh okay Um, also a good question so I have to confess I um, I think I've found I've struck a really great balance now but it was terrible earlier on in my career. And um, so uh, this did not happen overnight. It's taken 30 years. And um, I was not anywhere near as balanced as I am now. But it's a matter of kind of picking and choosing. And being in accounting, it's kind of a 24-7 proposition, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a CFO, if you're a controller, it is a -a seven-day-a-week job because things can happen on a Saturday, on a Sunday, right. in the middle of the night when you're dealing with uh, China, India, uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that about my job, and at times it's extraordinarily intense, mm-hmm. and it might require you know three or four days of really, really long days. Um, but then take a break. And uh, Terry, having a, a boss, a business owner, who realizes that you can't just go pedal to the metal all the time uh, is is really great and a lot of businesses might not really realize that in fact I think earlier in my career uh, I didn't speak up enough Mm -hmm. and a business is going to push you to get as much as they can and you've got to take care of yourself and I've learned to do that and uh, I found a boss who is supportive of that so long story longer now I work from home several days a week Um, what was this pre- Corona or I was working from home about one day a week Mm -hmm. um, pre-corona and in fact when I joined CAB we were in a turnaround and um, what I was doing was so intense uh, looking at financial modeling and uh, putting together a sim package and just all the analytics that were required to uh, recapitalize the business Mm -hmm. it really was more effective to be at home so I could really just zone in on what I was doing Mm -hmm. and so from the very beginning uh, I had a habit of being at home and and Terry recognized the effectiveness that Mm -hmm. I could still provide by having that quiet space Um, so now 
Uh, I've moved from about one day a week on average to three days. Mm-hmm. And when it gets busy, when we're in our audit season, Come I'll in. be back in the office a yeah. little more often. Um, but it's strategic yeah. and um, it maintains a balance. I'm off the road um, and my husband and I are like to camp. We like to exercise yeah. so we, and you have time to do that yeah we garden uh i you mentioned my fur babies uh-huh. not your typical it's not a cat not no. a dog no don't tell, tell them what season is it Do- what what season is it is it kidding what you say? kidding yeah, oh it's, it's kidding. almost kidding season <laughs> it's almost kidding season that's right so well the, not everybody knows what that means so go ahead and tell everybody what I kidding will. means so our fur babies uh and we have feather babies our fur babies are goats and donkeys mm-hmm. And uh, all three of our goats are expecting, and this is exciting. This will be our first kidding season, and we'll have some baby goats soon. Yes. Uh, We'll have to see some pictures of the little kids. I will send them. Especially if they're climbing kids. I'd like to see them. Oh, they bounce around Mm -hmm. and climb, and they're just cute. Uh, And then we have some chickens. We have fresh eggs, Mm -hmm. and we give away a lot of eggs, and we eat a lot of eggs, Mm -hmm. and... I bet your neighbors uh, love that. You they do. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, neighbors and friends really like that. That's nice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a, a good grasp um, now, as you mentioned. It, it wasn't an overnight, and I think that's really important because I know myself, I, I pedal to the metal, like you said, and I spin my wheels in different directions, and then I come very exhausted. So knowing and hearing from a successful powerhouse woman like yourself that it doesn't happen overnight, that it, it will, as I progress, the balance or the integration will increase increase yeah that's uh refreshing to know just just keep pressing on um i would like to go back to cab if you don't mind to cab is it okay to call it cab you could call it cab, cab uh you know it's not about uh, delivery though i mm-hmm. mean it is but you know what it is delivery right. of steel products but um yeah it's the acronym for the original C-A-B. founders b yeah. okay got it <laughs> i apologize that's okay um well just kind of looking and we were touching touching on the pandemic um what type of assistance was cab able to find through the um, federal pandemic stimulus programs if any ah that's um a, a good you brought that up very timely so we were able to get the Paycheck Protection Program loan and uh, extremely helpful. I think uh, the feds have done a great job. The SBDA has done a great job of providing assistance for small businesses. Um, there are still funds available. Um, we were early into the program and because of that, we um, have been able to maintain all of our workforce, our manufacturing workforce, really, and have not skipped a beat. In fact, we were able to actually pay hazard pay oh, to our employees, mm-hmm. which yeah, was really good, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that program has been really beneficial for us. I'm glad to hear that you guys were able to take advantage of it. I know um, some ladies that are in, in the world of banking and that the loan department has been crazy busy. Oh, yeah. They've just been swimming in it. But I'm so glad that there is um, a resource available. From a financial standpoint, do you think that these programs are a good investment back into our economy? Do you think that they're a Band-Aid kind of patch? Or do you think that they will really penetrate and help uh, revive um, the lull that we experienced throughout the COVID crisis? Oh, I think absolutely. It's part of the it's revitalizing. It's maintained. and avoided severe devastation, in my opinion. And um, so they have been essential. And um, 
one challenge will be the tax side of this. So I look to our feds to you know work their way through that. I know it's they're drinking out of a fire hose right now, trying to sort all this out. But they right. did what was needed immediately. And um, like I said, I think they avoided devastation by getting funds into the hands of small businesses. Small businesses um, next to the government employ right. most people in America. And we've got to keep these small businesses operating. Um, so absolutely a huge win for the nation, um, for employees, for everyone. And uh, we need to just keep pushing through. And remember, we've got to keep businesses afloat mm-hmm. so we can keep hiring. Yes. Uh, one thing, the silver lining that I was able to take out of that, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen, is how much the community pours into the community, how much um, people were supporting small businesses, their favorite eatery. You know, I know they did a takeout Tuesday where people were just coming and picking up. The way that we all kind of just rolled up our sleeves and tried to help our neighbor yeah. truly was, um, although it was for a, a, a bad reason, it was refreshing to see everybody kind of unite. Um, along that same vein of, of, of um, being united, how are you guys able to manage through these turbulent times? I know you mentioned some of the work from home. I know you mentioned a little bit of a hiccup with supply. I know you and Terry were probably working overtime six days a week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> how has it affected like the, the balance or the flow at work since the, the crisis yeah. pandemic? Excuse me. Well, I think, first of all, was getting the PPP loan and knowing that we could secure that because, uh, you know, revenue makes the world go around, but cash is king. Mm-hmm. So having that assurance allowed Terry, Mike and Terrence, myself to focus on the business and what do we need to do for our customers? What do we need to do for our suppliers? Mm-hmm. What do we need to do for our employees? So um, right away, we um, early on in March, we had anyone who could work from home, work from home. Um, and we, you know, made sure we had essential services uh, status in all of our locations and worked with our employees. We got face masks where we had very good relationships with um, some organizations in China. Early on, we were actually able to get face masks wow. when some weren't able mm-hmm. to. And we actually, the first shipment that we got um, just came. One of our partners in China knew that we would need them. Wow, we didn't so even nice. ask. Yeah. And um, 2000 face masks showed up so we were able to protect the employees Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, start protecting their families Mm because they're going to worry about their families so we had a little initiative where myself and one of our other staff members sewed masks for everyone Mm -hmm. and their families I mean from you know small things like that but they're big things Um, so you know kind of taking care of the big thing and it was it was a four days 24 hours a day working on the PPP mm-hmm. loan. It really was. I just, Saturday and Sunday, uh, Terry and I were in constant communication and with our wonderful banker mm-hmm. making that happen. All of that, and then communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm-hmm. So talking with customers, talking with our suppliers, mm-hmm. um, understanding as much as we could what's going on, knowing that things are changing by the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really it required an intensive uh, increase in our communication level and then communication is key I think we've all had to um, learn different ways to reach clients and, and vendors and colleagues throughout this unique time so like you said remaining in communication that's that's paramount thank you for sharing all that that insight about CAB uh, I enjoy learning more about it each time 
Um, I'm going to switch gears again. That'll be for about the third or fourth time during the show. And I'd like to ask you about some of the, the personal growth um, things that you do for yourself. We were talking about podcasts and reading for the show. Um, share one of your favorite most one of your most favorite recent reads or a book that you might be um, reading right now. Uh, okay. So these are actually a couple of rereads, both mm-hmm. of them. <clears throat> Good to Great mm-hmm. by Jim Collins is a great leadership book. It's it's older, but it has wonderful principles. And it, it looks at several um, CEOs in particular of really, really great companies. And how did these comp- companies overcome mediocrity? Mm-hmm to be really, really great company. And it used the metric of stock performance over sustained stock performance. Um, so great book. And then another one is a fun book, and this shouldn't surprise you, it's James Harriet. Uh, he's a country vet in Glasgow uh, and in the 30s, mm-hmm. right? So he's writing about his experience as a country vet, taking care of people's lambs, wow. ewes, and cattle oh a veterinarian a veterinarian okay. i said vet yeah <laughs> veterinarian like, okay. yeah very cool now if you've During never yes if you've never read a james harriet book all creatures great and small mm-hmm. um is one I'll of his books check it out and you actually referenced this good to great before the show as well and if they're rereads then they're obviously worthwhile yeah both rereads right them. now mm-hmm. well i'll have to do that i've turned to podcasting here well, of course, obviously, we, we're doing podcasting, but I've been enthusiastic about listening to podcasts for about five years now. And reason being is I simply didn't have the time that I used to to devote to reading. But I wanted to continue my education, expand my horizons, and listen for entertainment and enjoyment. Yeah. So that's kind of where I get my fix there with the podcast. And what do you recommend? For a podcast, mm-hmm. I like a lot of inspirational and a lot of marketing and sales stuff. That's how I kind of sharpen my skill set. There's so many great... Um, business leaders out there that create content and they just share freely. So one that I really like is called Rise and Shine and it's kind of inspirational and the the girl that hosted her name is Jenna and she's about my age and she um, just kind of talks about all things life. She was a photographer once, she's a mother now, she owns her own marketing business and she talks about a lot of the things that you and I are talking about and she has a lot of guests similar to to how I have guests. Okay. Yeah. So I really enjoy listening to her. Anything uplifting, and I'll say it, Mike always laughs. Andy Stanley is by far one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, yeah. And also Joel Olstein. So I listen to a lot of faithful podcasts too. Yeah. And I like it because it's so easy. You can listen in the car, you can listen at the gym, wherever you like. Yep. So we'll get you into podcasting. Okay. Okay. I'll work hey, on it. I wanted to thank you so much for your time for being um, here with us, Carrie. But before we go, I would like to ask you, um, do you have any advice for our listeners that might be pursuing a career or any personal endeavors, any tips or tricks that you'd like to um, share or words that you'd like to leave with the audience? You know, uh, I knew you were going to ask this, (laughs) so I wrote some things down. I'm confessing my, yeah, yeah, because um, thank you for listening to anybody who's listening, but um, this is when I think of someone young in their career or at a um, pivotal moment, maybe they're changing their careers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of neat to be able to give them a shout out. So learn, 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 be a student of everything yourself in particular, Mm -hmm. right? Work on your, pursue your strengths. Don't focus so much on your weaknesses. Just, you've got a lot of strengths, Uh, leverage them. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of learning also is um, having humility having counselors a great set of counselors i've used executive coaches i've uh, got a circle of friends i can go to 
uh, mentors, um, they can be found and they find people who want to pour into you and you will learn. Um, and of course, education is a great part of that too. And listening to podcasts mm-hmm. you just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and then serve. That was the way I overcame whatever I needed to overcome because if I prove myself valuable, I'm going to do that through serving mm-hmm. with what I have to give. And then toot your own horn. You got to do that a little bit. Um, I was helping a young woman uh, tune up her resume. She'd been laid off. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had this great story. Um, the youngest promoted manager, the youngest individual promoted to manager at her organization, the fastest promotion to manager in her organization. And that didn't come out in her resume. Mm-hmm. So we were able to, when I started talking with her, she's like, well, yeah, I managed a staff of 15 and this is what we do I'm like well wait a minute why did you get promoted and we were able to say look manage a a budget of a hundred thousand dollars cut expenses by 30 percent because she figured out how to staff better uh, reduce turnover and we were able to quantify and really help her describe what she did and when we were done she's like I really did all that. I just couldn't say it. Put it into words. Yeah. yeah. You gave it that sizzle. That's right. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, as women in particular, we're not as good as this. And I'll, my executive coach was a man, mm-hmm. and he told me this, so I, I think I'm validating it. Uh, so spend a little bit of time figuring out how to do that. Um, let's see, my last thing to share. Oh, face the dragon. This is my favorite many times and you probably experienced this too something in your career or your life that you just were very intimidated by Mm -hmm. and face it you know because what you want is on the other side Mm -hmm. of the dragon so face the dragon don't be afraid take your time if you need a little bit of time to get ready but if you're going to move through it and you want to grow your career and you want to improve your life face the dragon gotta leap leap through that fire yeah you mentioned i know i just said we're wrapping up but i, I just had to rewind and touch because you said you mentioned a um unfortunate event in your life where you were laid off but that gave you the opportunity to kind of rebuild and, and flourish and then you referenced um all the furloughs and things like that now uh, most recently when you're giving advice and you're kind of um sharing tips and tricks you kind of alluded to not being scared of failure as well so i think it's really important for us as as ladies or even just anybody listening not to take failure as a measure of their worth but as a chance for a new start well said mm-hmm. well said it you is might not, recognize that text from it somewhere. is not a measure of your worth it's it an opportunity a a new start. and you yeah. might come out um, flourishing even more bright than you were before that has been the case for me every time. And she's she's very bright, ladies and gentlemen. You can't see her. <laughs> she's, she shines bright. Thank, Thank you, you, Carrie. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I enjoyed getting to know you. And I did want to ask you really quickly for the third time to rewind. Who have been mentors in your world throughout your, your journey to success? Oh. If you're able to share just a couple quickly. Well, one everyone would know is Eleanor Roosevelt. Good woman. Um, my fifth grade teacher, Ms. Brueggemann. <gasps> And uh, a lot of the women in my family were teachers. Mm-hmm. And um, my, so both of my grandmothers, my aunts, uh, impressive teachers and just pouring into people. And uh, both of my grandmothers were widowed um, and they raised their family. 
as teachers. Uh, I had an aunt who was um, a teacher during World War II and became a principal in Germany and Japan. I mean, living really brilliant careers uh, as teachers. So I looked up to all those women. I was really fortunate to have uh, a lot of women trailblazers. Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. There you go. So they paved the way. They did. Awesome, Carrie. Well, thank you so much. Before we depart, I did just want to share um, a quick word from one of our other sponsors, Cat Rangers. Cat Rangers is saving lives of cats and kittens one paw at a time. They are the special forces of cat rescue, and all of their felines recover in their lovely home-like center in Buford while they wait to find their forever homes. Cat Rangers is growing rapidly and is always seeking financial and volunteer support. Please contribute by visiting catrangers.org today. All right. If you guys are looking for a little fur baby or a companion, please visit catrangers.org. They have a wonderful selection of loving for children that would like to come home with you. <laughs> um, again, I wanted to thank my guest, Carrie, for joining me today. Remember, you can listen to our bro- our live broadcast every Friday at 1130 on businessradiox.com. Simply select the Gwinnett Studio. Our shows are available 24-7 online, and we are on all of the podcasting platforms. I listen on iTunes. Where do you listen to your podcasts, Carrie? Uh, Apple Play. Apple Play. There you go. And Spotify is a really good place as well. Uh, don't forget to connect with us on social media at Gwinnett radio x and until next time i have been your host amanda pierch and this has been celebrating powerhouse women on business radio x